Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now notice verse 11, please. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This traditional Christmas song, Christmas hymn, We Three Kings. It was written by a pastor. His name was John Henry Hopkins Jr. And as you can possibly imagine, he wrote it for their Christmas Eve church service. He wrote it in 1857. And that's interesting because he was the pastor in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It was the first Christmas carol, they say, originating in the United States that achieved widespread and international popularity. It was the first Christmas song, Christmas hymn from America to be featured in a hymn book that was published in the United Kingdom entitled Christmas Carols Old and New, which was a prestigious and influential collection of Christmas carols. There's much speculation as we read the biblical account about these wise men referred to here in Matthew chapter 2. Incidentally, it's the only time in the Bible, the only place that they're referenced. That term, wise men, in the Greek it's the word magoi, most likely referring to the magi. The magi is a plural form of magus. Now, the magus, a magus was a member of the priestly caste of ancient Persia. As part of their religion, these priests in Persia, the magi, they paid particular attention to the stars. They gained an international reputation for studying the stars, which was at that time highly regarded as a form of science. Their identification as kings in later Christian writings is possibly linked to a passage in Psalms, Psalm 72, 11, where it says, may all the kings come and fall down before him. Others claim that there is a historical basis for this, believing the Magi to be part of the ruling class there in Persia, not just part of the religious class. And then it's interesting, the further you study, you find out that the Eastern Church, the Eastern Christian Church, in earlier centuries held to a tradition that said that there were as many as 12 wise men. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. We do know that there were enough people in the company or in the entourage that it caused King Herod and the entire city of Jerusalem to be in an uproar. Some ancient writings even go so far as to name these three individuals. 
as Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar. And according to Western church tradition, again, it's just tradition. There's nothing factual about it. They say that Balthazar often is represented as the king of Arabia, Melchior as the king of Persia, and Gaspar as the king of India. Now remember, that's simply tradition. We have no factual basis for this at all, but it is interesting to consider and to contemplate. But what is interesting to me, more interesting, is what we do know and what we do have. What we do know and what we do have here is we have earthly kings, earthly monarchs perhaps, even bowing before the majesty, the lordship, and the authority of the king of kings, King Jesus. We have wise men acknowledging that their human wisdom is mere foolishness compared to his infinite wisdom. We have religious seekers and scholars embracing the long-awaited Messiah Heaven's pearl of great price. That's what we do have and that's what we do know. And as we bring this event here in Scripture, in this passage, home to us today, sitting here, what stands out to us is the expression of true worship and honor to the Christ child. It's interesting to me that as will be revealed in the text that we're going to learn That what these men held to is what you and I, every person in this room, should and can hold to today. And that is that the worthiness of Jesus Christ. The fact that, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is worthy. Our understanding of the word worship. And we use that term a lot. Talk about musical worship. We talk about private worship. We talk about corporate worship. Worship in the Lord. We sing about worship. We read books about worship. We have Bible studies about worship. And yet, what we have in front of us in the pages of the Bible today is a living, breathing example of men who worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I want to encourage us today, and I want to bring a message to us about the worthiness of the Lord Jesus and what true worship is really all about. And that's the lesson, the biggest lesson that we learn from these wise men. That Jesus is worthy. And if you fall asleep from this point on and you forget every single thing I've said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to go home today with the thought in your heart and head just how wonderful and worthy The Lord Jesus Christ really is. And so I want you to know, first of all, we learn from the passage here that true worship is a conscious choice. It's a conscious choice. Obviously, these men were not there in Bethlehem by accident. Nothing that was done by these magi was off the cuff. Our last minute, our spur of the moment, our ill-conceived was all calculated. Every mile, every step, every gesture, every gift that they presented to Jesus, it was a choice. I see this in contrast, ladies and gentlemen, 
to how so very often in our subculture that we call church, Christianity, it seems like that very few of us anymore do things for Christ simply because we just choose to. Simply out of a heart that overflows with gratitude and desire. I find myself so often doing spiritual things, churchy things, religious things, and yet, just to be honest, they're driven by things other than just sheer desire. It's driven by schedule. Well, Christian, why are you doing this? Well, it's just because it's the next thing on the schedule. It's driven by habit. Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this, Christian? Well, it's just because it's what we do. What we've done. It's tradition. It's, you know, we've done it this way for four years or five years or ten or twenty or thirty years or fifty years. So this is what I'm going to do. It's just habit. Schedule. Not really driven by desire or choice. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I do certain things that other people would say, oh, look, he's doing that for Jesus. And the truth is, I'm not doing it for Jesus. I'm doing it because I feel driven by guilt. Or sometimes I do certain things, and I know, I I hope you're not like me, but I'll do certain things because I want to be seen of you. (laughs) Seen of men. I want to try to impress somebody. I want you to think I'm a good Christian. I want you to think I'm a good pastor. And so I'll do certain things. And I have to stop this morning and I have to ask myself, Hey Christian, how much of what you really do that you say and other people say is for Jesus, how much of it is really for Jesus? Everything, everything that you see, every gesture that these Men expressed it was driven by a desire because they thought Jesus was worthy. My prayer this morning for myself, my prayer for us as a church, and my prayer for you as a Christian is that God would help us to even more so passionately really do the things we do for the Lord Because it's driven by a choice and a desire that he's planted within us in our heart. Second truth we learn is that true worship is not only a choice. True worship will always cost something. True worship is never cheap. True worship is always going to be expressed through sacrifice. True worship, I'm I'm talking about true worship. I'm not talking about false worship or fake worship. I'm talking about true worship. It will always cost us something. There is no such thing as cheap worship. I bring to you this morning some biblical examples. Consider with me Genesis 22. It's the very first time you read in the Bible the word worship, at least in our King James translation. Where Abraham said to the young men said, me and the lad are going to go over yonder. (laughs) 
He must have been from the south. Amen. We're going to go and we're going to, and he uses the word, we're going to worship. Now, wait a minute, preacher. (laughs) Who said that? Abraham did. Who did he say that in conjunction with? He said that in conjunction to his son, Isaac. And do you remember this incident in scripture? And they said, hey, uh, uh, sir, we see the wood and we see the fire for the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? And remember what he said? He said, God will provide himself a lamb. And in Abraham's mind, who was the lamb? Well, the sacrifice was going to be Isaac. Now, buddy boy, that's a whole sermon and maybe even a series all to itself. He says, hey. We're going to go worship God, and we're going to make a sacrifice. It's interesting. Uh, There's a law in Bible study in what's called hermeneutics called the law of first mention. Which means that the first time something is mentioned in Scripture, it takes precedent and it establishes a pattern. So when you read the word worship for the first time in the Bible, in Scripture, it absolutely means sacrifice. And I would submit to us today that we never truly worship Christ until it has cost us something. We could go over to 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, where David said, I will not offer to God that which cost me Nothing. How many times do we try to offer God leftovers, leftover time? We offer God cheap things. We offer God that that will not cost us anything. Every year at this time, I do get convicted and I do pray about what Aaron and I should give and what God puts on our hearts to give, not just in the Christmas offering, but every week when we give all the time, when we give and honor the Lord through our giving. And please, please hear me. Please hear me, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know why we talk about giving and we mention giving and we preach on giving? Do you know why, do you know why we mention it? Friend, it is not because, listen, listen, it is not because God needs our money. I want you to hear me. Now, I, I do not take for granted one penny that God's people give through the offerings of this church. I don't take that for granted at all. But I want you to hear me. The reason we talk about giving and teach stewardship is because God, God is worthy of that. And God has established that as a way, listen, where he blesses us in the process. I learned a long time ago, God doesn't need anything from Christian. Heaven's bank account isn't going to go bankrupt just because if I choose not to give or tithe. But far too often, I'm afraid, we're guilty of trying to offer to God that which doesn't cost us diddly. I believe that's a disgrace to the Lord's worthiness. We find in Matthew 26 where Mary brought the alabaster box, very costly. And that's the word that was used, very costly. She wasn't offering to Jesus anything cheap. Romans 12, 1 says to present your body a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. You present yourself. 
your body, your life as a living sacrifice. You do it repeatedly over and over again. And then it goes on, which is your reasonable service. That literally means your logical expression of worship. Worship. I thought I worshiped God when I come to church. Well, you do in a sense. I thought I worshiped God when I sing. Well, we do in a sense. But if that's the only idea we have of worship, then that is an inferior concept of worship. Here in Romans 12.1, he establishes the truth that, ladies and gentlemen, you worship God when you present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Our very lives belong to him. Our life, my day, my family, everything that I am, I'm placing myself on the altar. When's the last time you've been on the altar? I'm not talking about coming here and kneeling. And by the way, I'm not opposed to that. You know that. I'm talking about your personal altar. I find I have a tendency to kind of crawl back off the altar. Anybody with me? No wonder he said he implied to do that habitually, regularly, all the time. That's how we truly worship giving ourselves to him. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, to offer to God, here it is, the sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice. Y'all know I've said this before. I'm not against you vocally praising the Lord. I'm not against or opposed to any visible sign of emotion or praising God or glorifying God. I am not. In fact, the Bible talks about lifting up holy hands. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. I believe when I look at somebody who I know their testimony and I know the struggle and I know what they've been through, there comes a point where your praise has cost you something. And you've earned, listen, you've earned the right to praise God. Almost like Job in Job chapter 1 where he lost everything. I believe Job earned the right to praise God. I believe he earned the right to raise his hand toward heaven and say, The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe that's why Mary over there in Matthew 26, I believe she could look at all those men and she could say, hey, like we heard in in a song, hey, you don't know the cost of my alabaster box. And I'll say this to you this morning. Everybody in this room has a story. If you're in tune with the Lord, you know what Jesus has brought you to and what Jesus has brought you through. Don't you be inhibited if you've paid a price and you've prayed a price. And you know what Jesus is doing and you know what Jesus has done in your life. Then you offer to God the sacrifice of praise. But it's not going to come cheaply. God reserves that special praise for people that have been through something. 
Can I get a witness in the house? Notice the various ways they expressed their worship to Jesus. Number one, they traveled. Now let's just let's just pause. Okay? Don't anybody get upset, nervous, or in a hurry. They traveled. That means you put that in 2018 vernacular. They got off their blessed assurance. They got off their duff. And they went and they did something. They traveled. In accordance to the prophecy contained in Numbers 24, 17, there shall come out of Jacob a star. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It is likely that these men came from what was known as ancient Persia. Which stretched, stretched as far north at the time as Europe at one time and as far east as India and Asia and as far south as Egypt, northern Africa. I need to clarify something while ago. I said a while ago, if I don't, it'll hang me up for the next 10 minutes. I, sh- I shouldn't have said the phrase, get off your blessed assurance. And I mean I should not have. Because we do have blessed assurance in Christ and I never want to I never want to be flimsy with that and so I just want to now I'm going to move on at the very least their journey was a journey of at least 800 to 1000 miles that's a long way Their journey was months in preparation and even longer in execution. The entire excursion took at least 15 months from Persia to Bethlehem. Because the star appeared the night Jesus was born. Then it took them a while to gather their information and to get their things together and to make the journey. It is believed that Jesus was at least a year and a half, at least a year and a half, maybe two years old by the time they actually got to where Jesus was in Bethlehem. That's why that, you know, I'm not going to, but it is more accurate in some sort of play or production when you see it that Jesus is a toddler by the time they got there because I believe that's, that's accurate. They traveled. They bowed. The Magi are described here in the text as falling down, kneeling, bowing in the worship of Jesus. This gesture was indicative of great respect and was typically used when venerating a king. They traveled, they bowed, they presented gifts. What do we note about all three of these gifts? The gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, we know that all three were typically presented as gifts to royalty. Jesus was royalty. He was the king of kings. Also, all three were very rare and expensive. And it's interesting, obviously gold has been the worldwide standard for wealth for centuries. Frankincense is a milky white resin that is extracted from a particular tree which thrives in the dry, cool areas of the Arabian Peninsula, East Africa, and India. Myrrh is a reddish sap extracted from a tree which can be found in the rocky soils of Ethiopia, Kenya, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. 
in the first century, which would have been the height of the trade for these two commodities. Frankincense and myrrh, a noted Roman historian, claimed that Arabia produced nearly 1,700 tons of frankincense and 450 tons of myrrh each year. In a time before daily bathing, people would take these two commodities and would uh, 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 fire them into a sweet smoke from the resin to make themselves smell better. And then furthermore, all three were very extremely practical gifts. Myrrh was used as an oil, frankincense as a perfume, and gold as a valuable commodity. So they presented gifts. So when it comes to reflecting the worthiness of Jesus in true worship, let's bring it home now. We're coming down to home stretch. How far is too far for Jesus? How often do we think or do we hear, well, I can't do that, that's going to cost me too much. Well, I can't do that for the Lord because that's going to cost me too much in my schedule. I'm busy. Don't bother me with that. I can't do that because it doesn't fit in my agenda. It's too far. How long is too long? I mean, they, they in all likelihood had at least a couple of years tied up in this endeavor. At least a couple of years. Well, I can't go do that. It's going to take too much time, preacher. How long is too long? I'm too busy for this. I'm too busy for that. How much is too much? You and I, in the next couple of weeks, we have this wonderful opportunity to be a part of several things. And I want you to prayerfully consider about what we're doing on Saturday with Saturation Saturday. How much is too much? Are you willing to give some time? About what we're going to give in the Christmas offering. How much is too much? About the volunteerism and the volunteer needs that we have to serve and bless others. Gang, how much is going to be too much? How far is too far? How long is too long? And I'm not trying to be unreasonable, friend. I, I, I promise you, I'm not saying that you sacrifice your health, you sacrifice your family. That's not what I'm saying, and you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. I'm afraid we all have a proclivity to be selfish and self-centered. We wouldn't say it's selfishness. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just confusion. Maybe we just get caught up in this mess and that and, and just the crazy rat race. Most parents I know sitting right here, your kids have ball games to attend. That means you have ball games to attend. And you drive yourself, you, you drive yourself all over creation going to your youngins' ball games. Right? And by the way, I would too. And yet we don't apply the same principles at that when it comes to the house of the Lord or the work of God. I'm not indicting anyone. I'm just saying it's high time. I'm telling you it's high time that we get our priorities back in line. Amen or oh me. And then final thought, true worship is never in vain. 
man, they sure wasted their trip. They turned around and had to go back home empty-handed. <laughs> but you know who wasn't empty-handed? Joseph, Mary, and the Christ child. It is believed, and I really believe this is true, that the gifts given by the Magi were used by Joseph, Mary, and Christ as they took their journey to flee for their lives down to Egypt. And you see how in the plan of God, in the plan of the Father, He knew that this family would have a need. And you see how God in His sovereignty chose to meet the need. And when you and I worship Jesus and we give like God leads us to, our time, our stuff, our treasure, our money, our finances, I want you to stand back and I want you to watch how Jesus takes the gift and how he meets the need. I guarantee you these wise men had no clue that what they gave would be used the lives of this family. And you and I, when we give, when we give our time, you'll never know how Jesus will take it and bless somebody else. As we give our stuff, our money, our gift financially, you and I can't imagine how Jesus will take it and how he, he'll use it to bless the one that has the need.